and welcome to Crafts and Crime. I'm Amy. I'm Elaine. So today we are currently bribing two of our <laughs> children <laughs> to clean two of my other children's room. Yep. So it's the little one's room. It's always a mess, but I'm getting a new bunk bed tomorrow. Um, and I'll put it together. Fun birthday stuff. Oh, I know, right? It's so exciting. Happy birthday. Here's your kid's bed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they broke their bunk bed, jump in. It's like the, the foot part, um, like right where you climb up, and it's like right where his feet would go. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. He kicked out one of them, mm-hmm. and there's only like two bars there. Yeah. And then he kicked out the other one, so Jack was like, that's not safe. Yeah, that's like a fall off the total end of the bed. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I did that once as a little kid, but... We don't know how it happened because I was not a sleepwalker, and I think I just slid down the ladder. Oh! But I don't even remember waking up or anything. That's happened. To, that's happened to Lincoln. <laughs> so yeah, all of a sudden I was a very like, fidgety sleeper. Yeah, I know. So we have to get him a new bunk bed, um, and we need a bunk bed because there's two of them in a small room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oh gosh, these houses. The houses we live in were built in the fifties and. Mm-hmm. The rooms were tiny because they were literally meant for sleeping and getting dressed. And you exactly, know. not so two really... kids and all their toys mm-hmm. and a TV and lamps yeah. and yeah, yeah, stuff like that. A lot yeah. of toy storage and stuff. <laughs> yes. And then my other two share the other room, but that's like that used to be the master. It was it's they have the so big. big. One, the add on. Yeah, the add on that has like two closets and everything. And so. then I'm over here like my craft room's the biggest room in my house because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my daughter got the backyard and my husband has a garage. Mm-hmm. So. But so. hey, my craft room has the cat box. That that is the sacrifice I made for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is true. gross. <laughs> I know my cat box is my laundry room. Lucky. So anytime I do laundry, I have to smell it. Yeah, yeah, like it's a it's a battle. Yeah, well, I'm definitely doing crafts more than I would be doing laundry. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm gonna have to get the that kitty robot thing that you have. Yeah. Oh, the litter robot. It's Come so on, worth litter it. robot sponsor us. I know. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. It was. It's a game changer because we went from two cats to four cats real quick. Because mm-hmm. um, my aunt passed away and she had two cats and yeah, and so she wanted them to go to family and my brothers couldn't take uh take them and so we took them so we went from two to four. And thankfully, we had that little robot because I can't imagine. But then you went from two to three real quick. Yes, we went yeah. from no, we're never going to get any animals to three cats in barely over a year. Mm-hmm. Our shared house cat. Yeah, I was like, he's over here too. So it's kind of like I have five cats sometimes. Yeah, and but then now with like the chickens and stuff. And- <laughs> I know <laughs> we have a whole menagerie over here. It it's a lot. Fast. It's a lot. Yeah, you went from two cats to a lot real fast. <laughs> <laughs> but but we love it. So, um, did you have a craft? Yeah, okay. I have a craft today. Um, so this one, as I mentioned in our first episode, I'm going to be doing crafts. I'm going to talk about topics specifically from endangered craft lists. And there are some that are extinct. That's what I had mentioned first, but that list is so small. Mm-hmm. It literally is four. Oh, so. Okay. The endangered list is quite long. And so one of them I'm going to be talking about today is the art of gold beading. Beading, I will spell it out, B-E-A-T-I-N-G, not beads. I'm thinking beads. Oh, beating. So beating gold. Yes, you beat it. So, exactly. (laughs) Um, And this is to make gold foil, gold leaf. Okay. And so, as always, just like with bread, um, the Egyptians did gold beating first Mm -hmm. they you know 
took the gold out. Gold comes out of the ground pure, which is quite interesting. It's one of the very few metals that does come out pure. And so in 2000 BC, they started using this gold leafing for statues and the burial masks everything mm-hmm. like gold was popping it was they it, they said it was so common that gold leafing was as common as their grains of sand mm. so it was something people saw all the time and the way it's done now is exactly the way it's done then to the best of their knowledge mm-hmm. so Gold is taken and it's melted in what's called a crucible, which is now made out of graphite, like pencil lead. Mm -hmm. And they form them into these little cups. They put all the nuggets in and they warm it up at 2000 degrees. And that is 1093 Celsius. Mm -hmm. So 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. And they melt it. And some of the goldsmiths that are smelting, that's what this is called. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, believe that the best gold leaf is made at 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit or um, 1,371 mm-hmm. degrees Celsius. So the gold comes out, and typically now the gold comes out as a bar that is roughly, um, it, it's small. It's super small. In one of the examples I was talking about, um, or learning about, I'm sorry, this brick is just about the size of a standard household brick, you know, your backyard red mm-hmm. brick. Just a, There's about, a lot of gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just at about seven inches long and about two inches tall and three inches wide. Try to imagine this in your two hands in front of you. That small brick will weigh 27 pounds. What? <laughs> yes. 27 pounds. And because gold is 70% heavier than lead. Mm-hmm. If you've ever held a lead fishing weight, that yeah. is so yeah, much yeah. weight in that mm-hmm. tiny little bearing. So it's extremely, extremely heavy. And that bar would actually be worth about $500,000. That's crazy. In today's. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, this gold is now taken and it is cut up into chunks that are about an inch wide and it's put through a machine now Mm -hmm. um they don't know how they did it then but the you know they just pretty much did the same thing the method i will be explaining soon but just without technology Uh so now um it's put through big rollers like pasta rollers imagine that on this massive industrial scale Mm -hmm. and they pull this chunk of gold and it keeps getting pulled and pulled and pulled but it's still only about two inches wide and at 20 yards it's cut and at this point this gold is the same thickness as your normal household like kitchen aluminum foil oh okay they take it and it's cut into tiny little squares and this Mm -hmm. is done the same way where it's really popular still in italy Mm -hmm. and also in myanmar and burma in southeast asia They take these strips. They have the same kind of rolling machines, just on smaller scales. They take these strips, and it's cut into um, small two-by-two-inch squares, and they put it in between sheets of vellum. This vellum, up until the late 60s, before plasticized vellum came Mm -hmm. out, if you're a scrapbooker, Mm -hmm. you'll know the texture. It's very strange was made from the lining intestines of cows and calves and sheep. And because gold is so 
thin by the end, they have to use the vellum. Mm -hmm. So they put these tiny little squares of the thickness of kitchen aluminum foil Mm -hmm. in your mind in between sheets of vellum and they make a stack and the stack is called a kutch. Okay. And in between each layer, they used to take a hare's foot covered in kale and clay and they would have to dust it because the gold becomes so thin it would stick. So we have this kutch. They wrap it in parchment paper. Okay. And then they start beating it with a hammer. Okay. I thought you were going to say the rabbit's foot. (laughs) (laughs) No. Now, the process starts with a hammer that weighs 17 pounds. Okay. So kind of like what Jack was using, that giant axe to cut all the wood. (laughs) Yes. And it's heavy. And he was like, my back hurts. So it's it's 17 pounds. They start off at 17 pounds and they hand hammer this kutch which is a little packet of this Mm -hmm. little booklet and they hand hammer and they start at 17 pounds then the next hammer starts at six pounds so it you know goes way down and this is just continuing the process of flattening and smushing the gold that's it it's a a crazy simple but extremely labor-intensive process after the six pound hammer will come an eight pound hammer. So just a little bit heavier. This heaviness mm-hmm. continues to spread the mm-hmm. gold leafing and then following a 13 pound hammer. Okay. At the end of this process, by hand, we're it's 20,000 hand hammers oh, over yeah. and over and over. And this is typically done in a sitting. It's That's the same crazy. way it's still done to I- this day. By hand, because the process that has become mechanized, they have hand hammer like machines with mm-hmm. the same size mallets that go through the same exact process is not any faster. Oh, really? It's not faster in any way. Nope. It has to be done in such a precise way because everything matters. The humidity in the room matters because mm-hmm. being that thin, it becomes conducive to metal. If there's static in the air, it will stick and it'll fly. Mm. It'll, it won't be able to separate from mm-hmm. the sheets. It's all so precise still that even when machines do it, it has to be checked so consistently. So by hand, it's still the best done by hand. Mm-hmm. One of the main things that gold leaf has been used throughout history, especially in Southeast Asia, is the offerings they give to Buddha were offerings of gold. Mm-hmm. Well, for people that were underprivileged and couldn't afford that, they could buy gold leaf. Yeah, because it's like... and Yes, exactly. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's an affordable offering that anybody can do, and they would take this leafing, and they would go, and they would be able to leaf the statues um, as an offering just like anybody else could. Mm-hmm. And the process has never changed, and gold is so strong that... The thinness it can be pounded out to is measured by something called an angstrom because it can be less than a wavelength of light what? in thickness before breaking. Um, a stack of 30,000 30, gold leaves is only one inch tall. Mm. And the way that it... The, the best way to explain it would be that it's three millionths of an inch thick. It's if we took a human hair. I was going to say, how does it compare to human hair? Because that's like one one thousandth. 
Okay, so like... To the point where cut gold leaf looked under the strongest microscope in the world, mm-hmm. looks like it has no edge. It turns into an invisible edge. What? That's because crazy. Because it's so thin. Because it's so thin. Yes, it's unbelievable. And it's still done the same exact way. Wow. So... Um, We'll post pictures. I'm going to have a picture of the hieroglyphics Mm -hmm. that's showing the process of them hammering gold out. And it's it's hard to know how they stretched it out personally, but I can't imagine it's much different. They probably just had a larger chunk and it would be by hand and they had that strip. Mm -hmm. Something really interesting is the way that the gold leaf is cut to be trimmed and look pretty. Um, It has to be done with sharpened bamboo skewers. Oh, really? Because steel blades, the gold leaf will stick to Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. immediately. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's so, it's been done so well throughout history. Egyptians had perfected it to the point that it's so pure, it remains completely untarnished still to this day Mm -hmm. in museums. And the British museums do have some that are complete strips that are one solid strip what? that they have That's lining cool. pieces of furn- um, mm-hmm. furniture and things and it rem- remains still completely unbroken mm-hmm. to this day so it's pretty amazing it is. and it's in the end the gold ends up being pretty much pure occasionally they do add some other metals which is silver and copper and so it turns 24 karat gold leaf down to 23 karat but mm-hmm. in italy it still is used um pure they use it pure hmm that's Ta-da! interesting <laughs> that was really pretty yeah. and, and it's like it's so beautiful and depending on the metal content also changes the color now i have bought um leafing for a gilding thing i was going to do a project maybe i'll do it here mm-hmm. um and Oh my god it's so it's so hard to work with because it's real it's real and it's so fluttery and yeah I remember I can't remember what I use gold leaf for but I remember it being like so like tissue paper and it's like this it's there's this sometimes what you will buy at craft stores is like oxidized and Mm, it mm -hmm. is easier to work with Mm -hmm. if you buy gold leafing um through you know anywhere amazon and it's it's pure what they consider pure they'll still try to sometimes pass it off as 24 karat gold but it mm-hmm. isn't always it comes it's the little squares that you'll have are typically going to be less than the size of a postage stamp oh wow because yeah. it's it's, mm-hmm. it's expensive it's expensive it sucks yeah. i think i had gotten a set i believe it was like 25 tiny little um little postage stamp sizes of pieces of gold mm-hmm. and I believe it was like $18. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. For just this little teeny mm-hmm. tiny bit that I'm probably going to fudge up because it's so <laughs> fussy and, you know, with humidity and mm-hmm. it's static. Learning all this stuff now, you pretty much have to have yeah. such well, a delicate hand and a paintbrush to set it down. You can't touch it oh, with yeah, your hand. It'll remember. stick to yeah. you. Yeah. It will literally exactly. stick and you, you're trying to wash it off. Especially and with me. I, with I have my sweaty, sweaty hands, hands too. <laughs> and it'll stick and I've had it happen and you're trying to wash it off and then you're covered in gold, gold. glitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's magical, but yeah. it's not the point we're wanting. Mm-hmm. Wow. I that hope was that was fun. good. Yeah, that was really I think interesting. It, I think it was really, it was really fun. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to this. It's really fun. We sit mm-hmm. together and research. I'm super excited to hear because I don't know anything. We don't talk about that. Also, yeah. we do not share with each other much we just no. kind of go like, what are you kind of working on in this? And I kind of give a hint and 
we realized, nope, I'm not doing that one. So yeah. all of this is like total. The reactions are. I know. So awesome like everything right you now. told me, <laughs> I didn't even know really. I didn't know anything. Um, you just kind of hinted, and then I've only told you a little bit about not. I don't think I told you anything about what I'm doing. I don't doing. think so either. I think I told you the last name. Well, I don't remember. <laughs> See? Okay. <laughs> so I am going to talk about the Hendrix family. Okay. Okay. So the Hendrix family lived in Bloomington, Illinois, and consisted of David Hendrix, his wife, Susan Hendrix, and their three children, Rebecca, who is nine, Grace, who is seven, and Benjamin, was five uh david with the oh, david was an orthopedist i knew i was gonna get mixed <laughs> up because it's like orthopedist and or yeah orthotics and all that so he was an orthopedist and he owned an orthotics business called cash manufacturing incorporated hmm. so he had developed a back brace um and he was like really successful in his career i need that yeah i know i'm like i need to work on my posture you know <laughs> The Hendricks were um, also members of a strict fundamentalist sect of Protestant, oh, Protestant, pro, no Protestantism, <laughs> Protestantism, oh, okay. known as the Plymouth Brethren. Oh, um, and so the family really like kept to themselves, and they mm-hmm. hung out with like family and and friends from the from right. their church, their church community yeah, only. Exactly. So. On November 7th, 1983, the day started off very normal for the family. That morning, David rode his motorcycle to the Bloomington airport where he had a small plane he liked to work on. Susan went to a doctor's appointment and then hung out with the kids while David was away, you know, working on his plane. Mm -hmm. Later that day, Susan went to a baby shower she was co-hosting with her sister in Delvin, which is about 40 minutes away Mm -hmm. um, from Bloomington. And when she was gone at the baby shower, um, or while she was gone, David took the kids to Chuck E. Cheese. And I know. I'm like, Plague infested mouse. <laughs> gambling casino exactly. for children. <laughs> so he took them to Chuck E. Cheese and they had a vegetarian pizza and root beer. Hmm. So to probably what we would have gotten to. <laughs> or, uh, except my kids are like, cheese, just cheese. Oh, I love just cheese pizza. I do love just cheese. Um. So then David was like, okay, come on, kids, it's time to go. But they, of course, were having too much fun and wanted to stay. <laughs> so he was like, okay, fine. I'm just going to run around the corner real quick and get some gas because he was going to leave for a work trip. I know. Weird. Like, my you face just, just dropped. Like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just leave your <laughs> oh kids at, at um, Chuck E. Cheese. That's yeah. Three insane. kids and like, yeah. They so, do a hand stamp thing now. Yeah. I don't know if they did that in the 80s. I, doubt I remember it. they did that I don't in the 90s. It. Oh, wow. I don't remember that. I do remember that. We used to go with Girl Scouts. I don't remember getting a hand stamp. Yeah. We used to go with like family and Difference and between stuff. Oregon and California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> okay. Sorry. But yeah. So we got, yeah, we got a hand stamp. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, so like he goes and he gets gas in his car because he's going to be leaving for a work trip mm-hmm. that night. So, um, so anyway, so he goes and gets gas, comes back. Wrangles up the three kids and they oh, left. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was starting here. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I was like, the kids are going to be gone. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, so they, he got the kids. They left at about eight and then they stopped at a bookmobile and got new library books at around oh my 8.15. Gosh, I forgot those were a mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So they all got some new books and then headed home. Mm-hmm. So then, of course, David does what, you know, any dad does, gets them in bed, which mm-hmm. takes a while, which is why he's like, well, they were in bed between like 9 and 9.30. <laughs> yeah. 
which is typical. Um, and then he just continues to pack for his work trip. Um, so then uh, Susan gets home from the baby shower around like 1030. And they talk for a little bit. And then Susan goes to bed at like 11. So this work trip, David's plan is to drive all night to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Remember, they're in Illinois. So drive to Wisconsin and then check into a hotel. Um, he then planned on stopping... it's always the same cat here to interrupt us so sorry anyway so um so his plan is to drive all night to wisconsin check into a hotel Mm -hmm. and then on his way back home he would stop at multiple places to sell his back brace so like stop like just you know drive one way and then do 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 you know on your way home and then you get home at night um, so it's like a whole day thing. He's done this type of work trip multiple times. So it's like nothing out of the ordinary. Which now the thought is so strange because you want to sell something. Yeah. You don't have to like cold sell it to Sears. and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it's crazy. just like, yeah, make a business trip and do it in person. And it's his back brace he's selling. Mm-hmm. So he basically, you know, made himself successful by selling his back brace. So, uh, so anyways, he leaves at 11. And drives to Wisconsin for his work trip. Mm-hmm. So on November 8th, 1983, the very next morning, mm-hmm. David calls the house to check in on his family and doesn't get an answer. He doesn't think too much about it and just, you know, figures like, oh, I'll just try again later. And then he checks out of his motel room and starts back, you know, his trip back to Bloomington yeah. to start doing his stops. Um, he makes a stop in the afternoon at a payphone because it's the 80s. You know, it's not <laughs> like he's just in his car on a cell phone. But yeah, so stops at a payphone calls again no answer so this is when he asks his assistant to try to reach them and he he also calls her um her mom his mother-in-law and also asks the neighbors to go knock on the door and see if they can like you know yeah like, do a see welfare if, check yeah before just like you call na- the police exactly so just like hey can you go over and see if like anybody's like home or whatever and um and the neighbors say that they didn't get a response when they went to the house. Mm-hmm. So, and it looked like nobody was home. Yeah. So then he made, you know, so then he's like, oh, okay. Didn't really think like, oh, maybe they just left somewhere. Mm-hmm. Not really going to, you know, worry about it. Because you couldn't just call and tell them, hey, I'm going to leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, sometimes I'll do that. Like, but now it's different. I can just text like, exactly. hey, I'm, I'm headed to the store or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, back then it's like, oh, she could have just been like, hey, kids, let's go. or Spontaneous. Yeah. Let's just go do something. And Exactly. So, um made another stop on his way home still not able to reach his family but he decided to exercise so he worked oh, out okay yeah and then um gotta get those steps still in when you're yeah driving. yeah and so then he still couldn't reach his family so by 6 35 he decides to call the bloomington police department mm-hmm. he informed them that he was worried because he hasn't been able to reach his family all day and he, you know, let them know, like, I asked the neighbors to check in. They didn't see anything. Um, yeah. You know, it's just a little weird. And then he also said that he he knew his family was supposed to be at a dinner date at about 530. And when he called over there, they said that the family never showed up. So he was like, maybe they had a car accident or something. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. You know, it's just unusual for the family mm-hmm. to, you know, not be him, like not be able plans to plans and then not tell anyone as well. Exactly. Not be able to reach them all day. So he's thinking like, do they get in a car accident? You know, know, something that's immediately what I would think too. When someone's mm-hmm. late somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> Panic. So exactly. 
Um, so the Bloomington Police Department decided to send Officer Mike Hibbins and Detective Dennis O'Brien to the house at 10.30 p.m. to do a welfare check on Susan and the children. You know, remember, it's like, you know, David's doing this long trip, yeah. so it took him all night to drive out there, and he's mm-hmm. making all these stops. It's gonna He's going to be home late, and yeah. that was just typical. The stops are also trying, or him stopping to contact, so mm-hmm. taking him even longer to get home, too. Exactly. So, um, so the, you know, they get there at 10.30 to do a welfare check. And, you know, they're looking around and they discover that the back door is unlocked, but mm. it's closed. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, front door is locked, but back door is unlocked. Yeah. So that's a little unusual. Uh-huh. Um, they enter the home and they see like the whole downstairs is a mess. Every- oh. It's been like ransacked. There's Ooh, like, okay. s- there's stuff everywhere. There's drawers and cabinets that like have been rifled through and there's just, just stuff everywhere. Um, so then they go upstairs and that is where they find Susan and all three children oh, no. literally hacked to <gasps> death. Ooh, I just got gross yeah. chills. Gross. Yeah. So. Oh, that's just so, so sad and scary. Yeah. Ew. So they had found all three children in one room together. Mm. And Susan was found in the master bedroom. Mm-hmm. Their necks and heads were where most of the wounds were, but little five-year-old Benjamin got, like, absolute worst of it. Oh, my God. I know. I have chills because I have a five-year-old just even thinking about that. Um, Their throats were slashed, and there were a lot of wounds directly to their face. Oh, my God. Oh, that's, like, nasty hatred. That's Mm -hmm. something else. Uh, So there was a butcher's knife and an axe that was left on Grace and Benjamin's bed where they clearly had, like, fallen asleep Mm -hmm. together in bed. Uh, but there was no blood on either of the weapons. Oh, weird. Mm-hmm. Both of the weapons actually belonged to the Hendricks family. Oh, okay. So the killer didn't bring the murder weapons with them. Mm-hmm. It was just there. Uh, there was no blood on the murder weapons, but there was blood, like, all over the mm-hmm. room. The bedding was completely soaked. The walls were covered with blood splat. So the crime obviously happened there. Yes. Okay. Yes. But there was no blood anywhere else in the house. Not a single drop. I was like Dexter with the plastic sheet. Yes. I know. It's like not nowhere in the house. Not a drop. They couldn't find blood anywhere else. So no blood evidence at all? No. Like other than in the room. Mm -hmm. And and obviously in the master bedroom too. There was blood there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the only physical evidence at the scene was a faint footprint on the back porch and the murder weapons left on the bed. And since the murder weapons were wiped of all their blood they were also wiped clean of fingerprints mm-hmm. so there was a the footprint in like dirt or i don't like... i think it was on the porch like on the patio mm-hmm. i'm not really sure it's like because the, there really was no mm-hmm. evidence mm-hmm. it was literally like oh there's like maybe yeah. a footprint can't really go off of that and then mm-hmm. blood and weapons that were cleaned about anything yeah i just think it's so crazy how something that horrific you think blood everywhere but not a drop Oh, yeah. How did it just stay No there? evidence. It was cleaned up, like, in yeah. the bathrooms. Yeah. Nothing. So they brought cleaning supplies with them is what I'm thinking. Who, I have no idea. It's like, yeah, it's just bizarre. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. So with all of that, there's not much for detectives mm-hmm. to go on. Like, yeah. there really isn't. So there was a lot of people that showed up at mm-hmm. the crime scene. Uh, and... There were so many people that when David finally returned home, he had to park, like, far away and walk up 
and he's just Gosh, seeing that's like awful like the amount of time you have to think about it yeah like what is the happening? worst case scenario and you're getting closer hoping it's not your house and you just know it's like i not mean good. he had to have known because it's like you called in for a welfare check oh yeah and, and there's then, oh god all of this around your house oh, no. <laughs> so once he arrived at his home family members and detectives told him what happened and so david cries and simply says that his family is in heaven now so not i mean some people could say that's such a strange thing to say but i mean Mm -hmm. i think he was a religious guy so if he knew like that's right i literally already forgot from the very beginning of this story yeah (laughs) yeah. no he's their whole family their whole family is religious community is based around Mm -hmm. so he's probably just like wow they're you know he's probably in shock like Mm -hmm. well they're in heaven now like and he's crying he's clearly upset Mm -hmm. so since his house was an active crime scene he went over to like the neighbor's house to stay because mm-hmm. you couldn't obviously couldn't stay at home uh david gave detectives permission to search his home office and his person mm-hmm. he even agreed to a polygraph test which he passed however within a couple weeks detectives moved to the theory that david committed the murder because of course the spouse is always the yeah the, the first the person they look at mm-hmm. you know and they didn't have anything else so it's like right. he must have done it Mm-hmm. So even though Susan's family were convinced that David had nothing to do with the murder, mm-hmm. investigators were like, nope, it's, it's, it has to be him. Who else it would just it be, be such a good cover to constantly check in from far away exactly. at these and leave the night up. Right. So they're just thinking like, hmm, how convenient, you know, mm-hmm. that like he's gone. Yeah, I can definitely happens. see that. And then it happens. And then he, Maybe he hired someone to do it. He doesn't have to be there to have done it. Exactly. So they're just thinking it's him. Mm-hmm. So on December 5th, 1983, David Hendricks was arrested for the murder of his wife and three children, even though there was no physical evidence mm. linking, linking him to the scene at all. Yeah, Everything against him was completely circumstantial. Yeah. And that's just so scary that to think. It really it's, does. It really is because it's like, man, he was just going on a business trip. Yeah. You know, he wasn't even there. So detectives tested his car, his home, and even the motel room where he had stayed. There was mm-hmm. no blood anywhere. Yeah. You would think if he committed these murders and then drove on his business trip, it would be in his car. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, nothing. There was literally nothing to, com- uh, like, connect him. The initial theory was that he could have committed the murders and then cleaned up elsewhere. Mm-hmm. There was nothing showing that blood had been cleaned up at the house or any other location that David was known to be at. Still, police have the theory that he murders his fa- murdered his family in the early hours of the evening and then got in the car and left for Wisconsin for his business trip. No, this I mean, could would be. definitely <laughs> be very hard to do with the fact that he was more than likely covered head to toe in blood. Oh my gosh, right? That's so I'm like, how could he have gotten in his car and cleaned mm-hmm. up elsewhere and you don't find any blood in his car? Yeah. It's it's just, it doesn't make sense. So there was no theory in like how he cleaned up Mm -hmm. since there was no blood anywhere. So he didn't really like, I don't know. Well, he must have cleaned up, but we don't know how. Yeah, that sucks so Mm -hmm. bad. So the autopsy was the one thing that prosecutors really used to help line up a timeline of when the family was murdered. Mm. The autopsy of the kids showed that there were undigested pieces of vegetables and pizza so they still had their dinner in their bellies <clears throat> from the day before yeah your food digests in like three hours mm-hmm. so what an asshole yeah so, <laughs> well okay so remember this yeah they had the pizza before eight o'clock okay yeah. 
Um, and this is what the prosecution was using to say that the family was murdered when he was home. Yeah. So, but, okay. So, according to the Journal of Dental and Medical Sciences, quote, when and what the deceased ate for his last meal is important information for the doctor who will conduct the autopsy. Various ingested food materials remain within the stomach for variable periods of time, depending on the nature and size of the meal. Sorry. I just had the most ridiculous thought. I was like, see, you need to eat can just in case someone murders you. Exactly. We were just talking about not your... eating. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. So it, um, it has been determined through extensive research that under ordinary circumstances, the stomach empties its contents four to six hours oh, okay. after a, a meal longer okay. <clears throat> mm-hmm. so it could have been six hours later mm-hmm. so they were saying therefore they're kind of going more off the four hour timeline and mm-hmm. it's like okay so the presence of the undigested pizza puts the timeline of the murder closer between like nine and eleven when david was home okay so that's what they're uh-huh. using so this is why they're like he, he had to do it he was home yeah. he didn't leave till 11 and and then remember, his wife didn't come home until like 1030. So mm-hmm. it's like, eh, yeah, anyways. So what was the motive that detectives came up with? That he was just done with his marriage and didn't want to be married anymore now. So that he had more money and success now that he's like yeah. got this successful career with his right. Um, they And also- traveling gives you the freedom <clears throat> to do them. Exactly. So... They also said that his religion would prevent him from divorcing Susan, so murder was the only way out. Oh. Um, if oh he didn't want to be kicked out of the church. But the church later stated that this not this wouldn't have been an issue, that he would still be a right. member. It's like uh-huh. um I think murder is a little bit more <laughs> It's a little worse. <laughs> it's a little worse than <laughs> to the eyes of your brethren. Like come exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> so that's what they were using. So the prosecution also used the fact that he had lost some weight in recent years, like in the year or so before. Oh, so he so was now getting it was like fancy for yeah. someone else. So they were just, you know, wow. saying, oh, maybe he's pursuing other women now that he's like lost some weight. And That's he, like, still feels a reach. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So, okay. So part of his career involved measuring women for the back brace. Oh, okay. And David used models for his back braces and they were younger, attractive women and a lot of the times he would request that they be topless, I guess, for more accurate, sure, yeah, you know, measurements. I don't know. I mean, I get it. But like, come on, put a slip on. <laughs> yeah. I, I really don't understand the reasoning yeah. behind that. He's but... not a doctor, right? <laughs> no, so... he's an. Oh, yes, he is. Yeah, well, yeah, he is. Wow. Good job, Elaine. <laughs> like, well, yeah. Sorry, everybody. Not... Yeah. Um, so the prosecution was saying that he was just trying to be, you know, sexual with this but Mm -hmm. all the models testified that he never groped them never made them feel threatened in any way Mm -hmm. the prosecution really went into the models and like what did he do with you and stuff yeah many of the models testified Mm -hmm. they did state that they would have to be topless and measurements need to be taken Mm -hmm. one of them stated that david claimed her back was out of alignment so he needed to like massage her back for a few like which could be true. You know, he, sure, he I mean, is chiropractors do that too. a back brace. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. So it could be legitimate. Um, so others said that he said he like would need to do an additional measurement. So they'd have to come back. All of this sounds very legit. Mm, you yeah. know, if he's mm-hmm. perfecting this back brace and he's 
really trying to sell it and stuff. It's mm-hmm. he's gonna have. A, and I guess if you're focusing Getting a visual on the back on your product on a person yes. with different back issues is also important too. And if he's photographing them from behind to show the back, it's mm-hmm. not like their chest is really sure. in it. So, so yeah, not really, you know weird but he never made any sexual advancements against Mm -hmm. any of these women uh he never had any affairs and like they testified about this so this doesn't have anything to do with the murder but clearly the prosecution was like trying to use it to show motive and reason Mm -hmm. why they're really trying to yeah oh they're grasping at straws it's like anything that they can get um and as you know they tried to use the you know his religion Mm -hmm. and so with all of that unfortunately you know in the end the jury ended up finding him guilty of all charges oh no yeah oh wow so the prosecution was seeking the death penalty but the judge said quote i cannot in good conscience apply the sanction of death unless i have been convinced of his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt I have not, and mere belief is not enough. Right. That irrefutable evidence yes. is what you need for stuff like that. Yeah. You can't, I don't see how they can go for the death penalty when everything is circumstantial. Mm-hmm. There's literally no physical evidence. Yeah. That's insane. It's not like you have his DNA, his blood, like, you know. Right. Or it, it, it's just, yeah. So, obviously, the judge could not issue the death penalty mm-hmm. and instead sentenced David to four life sentences, one for his wife and the other three for his three children. So during David's incarceration, there was a jailhouse snitch that claimed <laughs> David confessed to the entire crime, which, you know, they're mm-hmm. so reliable. Right? Yeah, right? <laughs> so, which, you know, obviously not. The snitch with a, was a pathological liar. And everyone, including the guards, <laughs> uh-huh. said David only ever said he was innocent. Mm-hmm. There was absolutely nothing connecting him to the crime. So why would he all of a sudden be like, yeah, I did it. You know, so... Mm-hmm. So, yeah, saying yeah, you did it the, isn't going to change no. anything. And <laughs> think about the only thing connecting him is stomach contents in this proposed like timeline. Yeah. And they're saying that this timeline, you were with the kids. You were with mm-hmm. your family. So anyways, in July 1990, his conviction was overturned by the Illinois Supreme Court. Oh. Mm-hmm. The grounds of that this decision. kind of doesn't surprise me, yeah. though. And the grounds of this was that the evidence presented was unfair and irrelevant. <laughs> The testimony of the models was thrown out and deemed irrelevant because it had nothing to do with the murders. Mm-hmm. The religious beliefs of the church were also thrown out as motive because the church stated that, you know, there's no truth in the fact that he'd be thrown out. So mm-hmm. if he were to divorce her, so that's, you know, irrelevant. And there was also, you know, just no relevance of religion or these models at yeah. all. Like, I, it's like we said, they were grasping at straws. They were trying to bring in as much Just as they could. Just trying to find something because there was nothing. Mm-hmm. So a new trial was ordered in 1991. And prosecution is relying solely on the stomach contents to prove the timeline of when the family was murdered. So that's all they have. Yeah. The defense presented experts who talked about the science of the stomach contents and how it cannot be used as an exact, an exact science but rather as a general time frame. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, children have incredibly high metabolisms. Yes. And women tend not to, mm-hmm. but she wasn't there, so mm-hmm. it wouldn't have mattered. Like, yeah. it's literally only off of the children. Yeah, and I think also her stomach contents, she had, like, salad and stuff at the baby shower, mm-hmm. so I'm sure it's, like, that kind of went in with the timeline, but they knew that she 
got home much later, 1030. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah. So, you know, there's, as you said, many factors that go into digestion with ages, energy levels, yeah. all of that. Think about it. They were at Chuck E. Cheese running around. Mm-hmm. And they also reportedly scarfed down their pizza mm-hmm. so they could play, obviously. Yeah, I remember course. doing that as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> like, to eat as fast as possible. So with all of that, there's like a hole in the prosecution's mm-hmm. theory that the family was murdered during that specific time frame. Mm-hmm. So once again, according to the Journal of Dental and Medical Sciences, quote, from the present study, it was concluded that indirect estimation of time since death can be possible from examination of gastric contents and gastric emptying. But due to variability of gastric emptying in different individuals, we cannot exactly define time since death. So other parameters like rigor mortis, postmortem lividity, cooling mm-hmm. of body, and putrefaction changes should be taken into consideration. Yeah. Because if they were murdered, you know, at night, like they had been sitting there all day, 24 hours pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, there's just too many factors that go into the digestion of the pizza. So it can't be used as definitive timeline of death. Right. So with all of those facts presented in his new trial, he was found not guilty. was a free man after being in prison for seven years. Yeah. I mean, the crazy thing is, is like, let's say he did do it. At the same time, nobody should be charged because there is literally no evidence. You just can't. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And that's how it works. Uh, Like with my last case, Mm -hmm. the one, if you listen to it, if you haven't heard it, Mm -hmm. the, the, Mm -hmm. yeah, the, there was just a picture of a foot mm-hmm. crazy people could amputate someone's foot and they could still be alive why wouldn't they tell or go to the hospital but those exactly. things matter and unfortunately he said he killed her but it's hearsay mm-hmm. and a foot doesn't equal that and so in that case it's hard because he maybe totally did yeah but with no evidence even me as a juror i'd be like uh no i well, don't yeah, think so I, none of that, that makes sense it's crazy it's that beyond reasonable doubt exactly it's like i have doubts Mm-hmm. it's if he did i don't know like yeah. i can't definitively say yes so yeah mm-hmm. i think the jury was right in this case of with evidence presented you can't say he did it yeah you, just you could say he might have but with all the variabilities of digestion he mm-hmm. he very well couldn't have someone could have come in right out watch the house saw him leave and then went in and did yeah. it right as he you know who knows so yeah in this case it was classic the husband did it but so there was no further in- investigation into like any other yeah. possible, you know. And again, suspects. there's like no ring, no ring doorbells. Exactly. <laughs> it's not the same. There's not the same way that we do it. I mean, I'm sure places have neighborhood watch, but that's pretty late. Mm-hmm. Um, even for even now, that time frame is late. But back mm-hmm. then, that's pretty late. You yeah. know, for the early 80s yeah people would be in bed ready to go to work and have their next day Mm -hmm. so yeah so because of this the murders remain unsolved Mm -hmm. even to this day nobody's ever been looked at for the murders other than david and the case is now cold with no suspects like at all and but however david has a theory on who could have committed the murders so he thinks it was his ex-brother-in-law so Susan's sister's mm-hmm. ex-husband. Okay. She said, Susan's sister said that her ex-husband came to her house that night of the murder, the night of the murder, mm-hmm. covered in blood. He had not covered in blood, but he had clothes with blood on them. Oh. And, but he worked in an ER. Oh. 
So it is unusual, but maybe not that unusual. I mean, let me tell you, but I like, would not come to my home in someone else's blood from work. Yeah. Like when I, I feel terrible, nurses, y'all are amazing. But sometimes when I see a nurse out in public, I'm like, oh my God, pull my like, shirt up. Yeah. You're still in your scrubs. Are those flu scrubs or are they clean yeah, ones? You know, because you can bring home so much. The average ER nurse would probably not come home in those clothes. Exactly. With blood. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's like the only theory or speculation David had was that, you know, his ex brother in law oh did it. And, he was thinking maybe he was just jealous or like mm. of his success or yeah. happiness or wealth. It was just like, but there wasn't enough to go off there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was it. So, but it's interesting because detectives did a lot of work to see if David did it. Mm-hmm. Like forensics interviews, searches of the motel, even rest stops. Yeah. Like they stopped at rest stops to okay. check for blood and nothing. There was nothing. Yeah. Everything was showing he wasn't the killer, but they were like, it, in their head like he did it they so, just wanted to wrap it up and make other people feel comfortable by saying they found who did it exactly nobody and it just, nobody wants to leave like oh there's a that's over three people is considered a serial killer yeah <laughs> so you know that's the start of it that's scary yeah those I kinds just, of murders that's like that was horrific yeah. i just don't see just reading all of this it's I, I mean, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. No, of course. And he could have been a religious man or not. Like, I, you know, you never really know someone. But in this case, it does. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. I don't, I think he probably mm-hmm. didn't do it. I, I don't know. I don't, from what you've told me, I, it sounds like no. It sounds yeah. like he didn't. Yeah. And. Yeah, just the no blood anywhere thing is just so bizarre to me. When I'm like, when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like not even on the weapons, not yeah. anywhere. I'm just thinking like, you, what? Not like, how like, do you clean that good? Exactly. Like nothing on the back door, like n- nothing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It, it almost sounds like um, a robbery gone wrong or something. I don't know. Which is interesting that they didn't take that approach to it. Because the yeah. whole downstairs was like ransacked and, mm, you know, true. so it's like, why didn't they think someone broke in through the back door or they left the back door unlocked mm-hmm. and someone got in That's or crazy. they did it after I'll, the, I don't know, the whole thing. Yeah, because bizarre. like, you know, your first case, the same thing happened then as well. Mm-hmm. What I, what I find great, <laughs> I just keep saying so crazy, is the little boy getting the most trauma. Mm-hmm. It, that's interesting to me because even people who are angry tend to take that out on adults more than children. Mm-hmm. That kind of brutalization is like rage. Yes. And I did um, read something about fathers who kill their children, mm-hmm. especially like if it's the, their little boy, mm-hmm. you know, because he had two daughters and a boy. And so it's like it, they see themselves in their child. Mm-hmm. So it's. He would really either have to hate himself to do something mm-hmm. like that to his child. So I don't know. I It's just, it is bizarre yeah. that, like, why it does feel very violent and personal. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, who knows? It could have been the ex-brother-in-law. Yeah. We just, yeah, we don't know. But as of now, That's it's crazy. just a cold case. So That's very interesting. I wonder, do you know what he's doing now? I did not look into that. I probably should have. But I don't know. Update. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, Check out tiktok and instagram i know we'll have to oh yeah 
by the way we made a instagram <laughs> and a tiktok so if you're wondering about like the oh we'll post it it'll be over on our instagram yep we'll post pictures of our cases mm-hmm. stuff that's appropriate we're not gonna do graphic stuff but no um no. just what's prevalent and mm-hmm. then, like, to our crafts, mm-hmm. we'll post stuff. I have a link that I'm definitely going to share of a podcast of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really interesting of this really precious older gentleman and his book club. And he talked about the gold beating. Oh. He used to do it when he was a kid. And it was very interesting. And so it's, like, about an hour long. So if I'll post the link to it so yeah. that people can. Yeah, we can put just, it in the show notes. Yeah, it's just a little listen. There's yeah. no visual to it. But it's on YouTube. Yeah. Awesome. That was really crazy yeah. and sad, but it was very interesting. Yeah. I haven't I've never heard of that at all. Yeah. Nope. It was okay. brand new to me. Yeah, it was it was new to me too. Mm-hmm. I I don't remember hearing it anywhere else. Any other yeah. podcast that I listen to. Cool. So anyways, well, with that said, stay crafty and not cry me. Bye. Bye.